Alejandra Ayala is a career coach and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She strives to make space for those fighting for a voice by creating equitable opportunities for people. She has worked at Google, Adobe, and Disney. She has evaluated over 28,000 candidates at Google and has an amazing story. She started working during high school as a waitress. She was always bold and one day decided to move to California. All she had were two suitcases and the money in her pocket. She eventually landed a role providing customer support and working the phone lines at Disney. She quickly got promoted due to her attitude and hard work. She always worked hard to move up and learned what she could. Listen to follow her journey to learn how she broke into talent acquisition and continues to impact the companies and people around her. Listen to follow Alejandra's journey. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Alejandra Ayala. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm Alejandra, and I'm a career coach and a DEI consultant. You have a very impressive background. You worked at Walt Disney, Adobe, Google, and you finally came over to the dark side, and now you're full-time in your own business How'd you get to where you are? Like, well, first, before you talk about that, what does it mean to work in DEI? What does someone like you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So I mostly work with mission-driven organizations. Right now, I work with nonprofits. And what that means is that it's my job that every person at the organization has this experience of belonging, has the experience of being empowered to do their best work. Um, and I basically look for opportunities to create equitable systems for people. I'm kind of like a systems and process geek. I look for opportunities to create them in areas where they don't exist. Um, so that's what it means to be a DI consultant. And uh, another part of my business is being a career coach. Um, I worked in recruiting for a few years at Adobe and Google. And after that, I was like, how can I work with job seekers and, and guide them through a whole process and break them into tech? Did you go to college at all? You know, I tried. I gave it my best shot. And it was like, it was like torture for me. I went to community college. I went to a bunch of community colleges in Southern California. And I also went to Berkeley City College up in the Bay Area for a few semesters. And I loved it. It became like, let me just go take some classes that I'm interested in. I, I took like Shakespeare. I would take like writing classes, reading classes, literature. Um, I love sociology. But when it came to like, hey, you have to fit all these boxes. You have to do all these general requirements. You have to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, I always worked full time. And the more I went to school, the more I was like, oh, this is so boring. It's not teaching me anything that I'm going to use right now. And I just couldn't stay engaged enough. I was like, I don't think I finally put it to rest. Like in 2019, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. You're not going to college, girl. You're not going to have a college degree. Go home. No, respect. No, I mean, it's it's always good to kind of do something and then realize it's not for you. How was high school like for you? And what do you want to be in high school? High school was very much like, I think in my culture with my parents, um, being that I'm Mexican and my parents are Mexican immigrants, education wasn't like the most important thing. You know, it wasn't like, hey, here to get an education, get good grades. My parents were worried about, you know, keeping us under one roof and, you know, working and all that stuff. So yeah, it was kind of like a phase of discovery for me, like having friends. I made my first boyfriend and it was like very light. I didn't want to do homework ever. So by the time I was a junior, I had to go to continuation school. I actually got kicked out of regular high school because they were like, you're way too far behind now. You're not going to graduate on time. And my parents were honestly like, what are you going to just work? I mean, if you want to drop out, you should drop out. And I was like, how could you say that to me? Oh my gosh, now I'm going to finish high school just to spite you. So I did that. I went to continuation school uh, for my junior and most of my senior year. 
And for the last semester of my senior year, I got to go back to the regular high school and walk with my class. And I graduated. But it was a trip because uh, I barely graduated. Like, I, I think I had over five Ds. And it was the time when they still let you graduate with five Ds. I don't know if they still do that now. <laughs> but, you know, funny you mentioned this. When I got a job at Google, I actually had to turn in my high school transcript. Really? And I, yes, dude, I avoided it. I was like, is there, like, is that really necessary? And I was making up all these excuses. I was like, I can't turn this in. No way. And, and they were like, yeah, it's, it's required. It's your latest, or it's like your degree or the last thing you completed. And I was like, oh my God. I'm about to submit this transcript to them. They're going to judge me. And I remember calling my friend and I was like, I can't, I can't turn this in. Like, what do I do? And she was like, shut up, send it to them. Get over yourself. Like you already got the job. And I was like, well, that's true. So I literally, they have a record of me with like a one point something GPA from Foothill High School in Santa Ana, California. <laughs> what do you want to be in high school? I had no idea. I didn't have any, I right out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Something that I wanted to do growing up was to be on the radio. But by the time I was, had graduated high school, I was like, I can't do that. That's crazy. So I didn't really have any dreams that were like, oh, I'm free. Let me go do them right now. I just turned to work. After that, I just became a really hard worker and I worked for a long time. What job did you get? Like, what was the first job that you got? I was a waitress. During high school or after high school? I started in high school. I started when I was 16. I've been working, you know, since I was 15. My, my first job was also at a restaurant. But in high school, I started working at a, a steakhouse, this Texas-themed steakhouse called Lone Star Steakhouse in Tustin. And we used to have to line dance at the top of the hour. <laughs> So we're like, it's, it's like six o'clock and you, you all got to line up and do the watermelon crawl type of thing. And I was there for, that's, it's funny. It's still my longest job to today. And I thought it was really funny that that was my longest job. And I I was there for over five years. I left when I was about 22 to go to Disney. Wow. So what'd you do at Disney? You're a core team lead. What is that? Yeah, that means that I was... The person leading the trainers, um, and then the trainers were training and developing all the new cast members that were hired on to the Disneyland Resort hotels. So I focused on the Disneyland Hotel and the Grand Californian Hotel and Spa. I focused on guest services, concierge, um, and, and those are the teams that... Like the people who kind of in the costumes? Well, they're all costumes because nobody wears uniforms at Disney, you know, but no, not like a Mickey Mouse type of thing. No, I was more like training and developing the people that were in the really fancy VIP concierge lounges or the people in the phone centers when you call for many rooms or when you call the resort, people that were greeting um, our VIP guests, uh, when like celebrities and special guests came onto the resort, those are the folks that I was more involved with. And I know that training them is, is like Disney has a very good process. Well, I, I think so because I've just heard that they make it magical, right? Like their customer service, like that's what Disney's known for. Like you have a seamless customer experience. It's like, it's truly magical. What would you learn during your time at Disney? Oh, man. You know, that was, I think that was just one of the most impactful jobs for me. When I started at Disney, I was first a phone center associate. Like, I was answering the phones. Like, I think you for calling the resort, whatever. And I became really good at it. I just was flying through all the positions, and I got promoted very quickly. And it was to the point where my managers were like, hey, it's really time to, you know, make you lead and this and that. And I was like, no way. Like, I really, I really haven't been here very long. And I'm not really sure how I would do all that. You know, it was like, I was so like, no, that's a big deal. I really can't handle all that. I was like young and feeling insecure about my leadership, not really knowing I was a leader, not really knowing how to express any of that. And they invested a lot of time and energy in me. They sent me to leadership courses. They made me a lead. They had like the boss's boss come to me and be like, hey, if I'm asking you to apply, you should just apply. And I was like, all right, I'll shut up and I'll, I'll do the thing. 
And it all went really well for me. And then I got, um, I had a really good manager. Her name was Wendy and she used to be in charge of a lot of the branding at Disney, especially for the Disneyland resort hotels. And she said, Hey, I really want, I really want to make you the face of the hotels. And I was wondering if, you know, you would be involved in X, Y, and Z. And I got to do photo shoots for Disney. I got to represent, um, like a role model cast member and all this stuff. But I think what I learned the most about myself in that role is that I can make a big impact, that I was good with people, that I could lead teams, that I could lead high impact teams, no problem. And that I love people, you know, I was like, wow, I've never been so passionate about making a process equitable for everyone. I never really cared about that. Everyone was set up for success until I got there. I was like, I really care about these things. So now years later, I think back and that was the first time that I started doing DEI work, you know, without knowing it was diversity, equity, inclusion work. It was really my job to to have it that everyone was really set up for success, regardless of their background or their current experience and like working them up to get to where they needed to be to be successful. Um, That was the first time that I was like, whoa, I really like this. I kind of do that stuff now. Wow. It's crazy how things always just come full circle. So what caused you to leave and how did that experience help you at Adobe, which was your next place? You know, I got to the point where I really wanted to move forward. Like I wanted to do something bigger, something more strategic. And Disney was a lot of work. It's like high volume. You're on the resort. The hotel never closes. Our team was 75 people. So it was like hiring all the time, always like a big machine, you know, it's a big operation. I wanted something that was more strategic. And I also want to make more money. I was like, yo, if I stay here, I'm never going to make it to the salary that I want to live the lifestyle that I want. And I was like, where, where can I go make more money? Where can I have a job that will secure remote work? I, I really wanted a, a job a long time ago where I had flexibility to travel and flexibility to move around before all this COVID stuff. And I knew that it was only tech that was going to give me that, especially at the time. Um, So I took a chance. I quit my job even before I had anything lined up. I was wild like that. I I think I still am, but it was the best thing I ever did. I packed my bags. I had like two bags and I went to Oakland. I like took an Amtrak to Oakland because I didn't, I couldn't afford like a plane ticket type of deal. And I remember my mom dropping me off and, giving me her cash. It was like the wrinkled up dollars that she had. She's like, this is all I have. Take this. <laughs> um, and, and it all worked out, you know, six years later, I'm back in Southern California, but it was a wild ride over there and it was totally worth it. So you, you quit. Now you're applying and you got Adobe. What'd you do at Adobe? So you were what talent coordinator? Yeah, I was, uh, that was my first job in recruiting. Um, so that's really when I learned about recruiting, about the cycles, about a candidate experience, about how candidates act, about how recruiters are. That's really my first glimpse into the whole world. And I loved it. I was like, it's fast moving. It's kind of intense. I kind of love this. And there's a lot of work to do in that area. Um, so leaving from Disney, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get a job like that. I I don't know anyone that works in tech at all. Didn't really have friends in the Bay area yet. Um, but what I did is that I took this like contract position. I don't even put it on my LinkedIn because I'm like, yo, I don't even need, I don't even need this anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I took a little like contract gig at a startup called culture force and they don't exist anymore. They ended up folding and closing. They were only around for a few years, but I was an event coordinator for them, but it was really flexible with titles. It was very flexible with the kind of work that I was able to do. They focused on employee experience. So that was one key word that I think made me really relatable for the recruiting manager. She was like, Oh, you know about employee experience, you know, about coordinating things. Um, I also don't have it on, on my LinkedIn, but I was in Mar- I was at Marriott between all of that, you know, between Disney and between Adobe, I worked at Marriott and at a small startup 
because I was like, I can't, I need to pay bills. I was an event manager. I used to manage corporate events there. But after that, um, I quit, I took the startup gig and, you know, I was only there for like six to eight months because they were like, we're closing up shop. And I was like, Oh man. Um, and I started applying like crazy and I was like, I'm just going to apply to these companies because I'm like, what if somebody calls me? And somebody did call me and her name was Isa Hernandez and she's the hiring manager. And she was like, she's one of the only like Latinas in leadership there. And she was like, I like you and I like your experience. And, you know, she interviewed me, she sourced me, she found me, she hired me. Uh, I still reach out to her. Uh, she's like, whenever you need a reference, whatever you need, I'm here. So she's one of the first people, the first Latinas in tech that I met, um, that totally had my back from day one. So that was really cool. Wow, that's amazing. So what'd you do at Adobe? Like, what was the day-to-day like? Yeah, I supported the corporate functions team. So I supported about seven to nine recruiters. And I coordinated interviews, generated offers, hired them into the system, all their candidates. Um, You know, if you have ever interviewed at a company and a coordinator is sending you your schedule, all the logistics, how to get there, maybe they book your travel, Maybe they have to bring you from one location to another. The person that sends you an offer, the person that processes your hire, that was me. Um, And it was the most intense job I've ever had in my whole life. Wow. Why was it so intense? It was really high volume, but I worked high volume before at Disney. So I thought I was like, high volume, no problem. Pressure, that's fine. But I get there and the type of attention you need to have to detail and accuracy at the same time as having speed and efficiency is insane. Like it, it was a whole different level. I was like, wow, no wonder not everybody makes it here because there's not a lot of, there wasn't a lot of training for me at the time. There wasn't a lot of support there. was a lack of leadership, very short staffed, you know, it was just like them doing the best they could. But for someone that had never worked in tech before, didn't really have a foundation of like, a background or like confidence that I had done that before. So I feel, you know, strong in my role. Yeah. For a while I was like, I'm not sure if I can do this, but I was like, well, I'm already here. I might as well. Okay. So cool. So what were some of the things that you learned from there? So obviously you, it made your work, your strong work ethic already stronger. You learned a lot. What are some other big takeaways from that job? Data. I learned how to make a case for myself with data. And that was the most important thing I learned in that role. I was like, that's why I came here. One of the things that was happening is that I wasn't, there was a moment where I wasn't performing like everyone else. And I was like, whoa, that's not like me. I'm like, I pride myself on being a high performer. And I didn't understand why I wasn't there with everyone else. So something that I did is I started collecting data from other coordinators to see how we were all managing our workloads. And to see if I can collect enough data to make a case for, hey, maybe our SLAs are off or maybe maybe some teams are understaffed and some are overstaffed. And what if we did this to the workflow of how the coordinators got their workload to be able to promote a more work-life balance? And that was a really corporate fancy way of saying I'm fucking drowning and I need help. So I learned to say that with data. I learned to say it with, um, you know, making suggestions or solutions, um, bringing an entire proposal in a plan instead of saying, hey, you need to help me. This isn't working. I I needed to learn how to say it in a more strategic way that I was going to have senior leadership buy-in. You know, I needed their buy-in and I need them to go fight for me. Like I can't, I'm a contractor, you know, I'm like, I can't be doing all that. I just need to I just need to convince this person that there's a case we can make a difference right here and get this person to be like, yes, we're about to do this. And then they will do the rest. You know, I'm not going to have to go and do all that. That's amazing. So did you leave the contract? The contract ended. What, were, what was the situation regarding that? I was recruited. I was recruited by Google. I went to work contract at Google. They reached out to me um, on LinkedIn. And I was, <laughs> the moment I made it through the interviews, I'm like, I'm out of here. Like I generously gave them two weeks. And then I was like, after this, I'm, I'm totally done. I was only able to be at Adobe for one year. Honestly, I don't think I could do much more. Like my mental health was taking a huge toll. The the type of pressure and the number of wrecks that a coordinator is responsible for in a full cycle recruiting cycle, I should say, 
it was too much. It was it was too much for me at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like it'll probably be too much for anyone, right? Then, because you know, you worked at Google. So, how did it feel like you got into Google, right? That's like, you know, the top. It's like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, right? And then maybe some two or three other companies, but that's like the top. Getting to Google, how'd you feel? Like, was what'd you think when you got in? I was like, damn, this is a dream, you know, because I made more money and I did a lot less work, and it was uh, more strategic work. It was more specialized work. It was no longer insane high volume. It was more like, get this right, you know, figure something out, come up with solutions, like be ready. I think Google was just another level, a higher level in terms of how sophisticated the recruiting systems are, how sophisticated the process is, how much attention to detail they have in every single process and the ability to create something small and to try it on one, like on, on two teams and then to be able to scale it, it like before your eyes has been pretty amazing experience. And it's something that I learned how to do like for my business. I was like, I'm going to do this for my clients one day and I'm going to learn how to do it here. So I remember one of my first days at Google, we had to go to like, it was when we still were going to the office is in 2019. And they were like, Hey, you know, the first few weeks, just really get to know the campus. Okay. You know, just like make yourself at home and go to the cafeterias and try all the things. And if you need hardware, you go here and there are bikes over there and, you know, just do your thing. And, you know, we'll see you for the team meeting. I was like, what? Are you serious yeah. right now? <laughs> you can't tell me this. Are you serious? And um, and that's literally how it was. Everyone was so nice, so welcoming. Uh, my boss was in New York. I'm in California. So it's not like she's going to be looking over my shoulder to see what I'm doing or not. And she was the least micromanaging manager ever. She was just like, you do what you do. And we have check-ins. Tell me what's happening. I want to hear from you. And that's it. So I'm like, I'm cool with that. So it was amazing. I mean, I gained like 15 pounds from eating all the food that was free because I was like, well, I got to try everything. They said it's a tradition around here. Uh, And I just remember riding around on the bikes and like, you're literally riding around on the bikes, you put your laptop in that little cute basket and you like ride around with a smoothie or something. You go to another building, you work from a different pod and then you go back to your workstation. You can go do yoga. There was a pool. There was just like, it was insane. I loved it. I was like, I could be here forever. Thank you very much. But I couldn't. Yeah. Why couldn't you? I had learned way too much. You know, I, I learned so much and I Googled, I was a specialist. So I have to stick to my function. It was okay for a certain time in my life and a certain time in my career. When I was approaching it, I was in the mindset of, I just need to be stable. I need that. I need that logo on my resume. I need to stay here and do my best work here. But then I started like really thinking of how I wanted my life to look. I really started getting clear on my mission as a person, not this is my job and this is my business. And this is why I'm personally, it's like, who am I like uh, on a more holistic view? And as I started developing that side of me, I was like, I don't think I want to be a specialist anymore. I think I want to do what I want to do. And I want to do this and that. And I don't want to get boxed in and I don't want to be, Hey, you got to go do the same thing every day. I didn't, I just wasn't about it anymore. And I tried to force myself to be like, no, I'm like, you're really going to get to Google and then be like, okay, I'm going to go do my own business now. I'm like, I thought you were going to go to Google so that you can stay there forever and then retire, you know? But, you know, two years into it, I was like, I can make way more money on my own. I could have way more fun on my own. I could have way more flexibility and it could be different, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at now. No, that's amazing. Look, I, I'm the same way. It's just like you just have bigger dreams, right? You just have bigger things. right? And you're like, this is what I got to do. Right. At the end of the day, if at work, you're always thinking about that. Right. It's and that's what's driving you. And that's what you're doing on the side. Right. You're doing that nights and weekends. It makes sense. So you don't have a college degree and you break into Google. How was it? Like, did they have an issue with that when you got in? Did you have to prove yourself? They didn't care. What was that like? Nothing matters when you get there. 
if you get there, you get there. No, I mean before getting there. So interview in the interview stage, did it have it? Did it come? Was it an issue? Never. Nobody even asked me about it ever. It's just getting an interview. They don't even care. Like all their questions are work related, and I kicked ass at work. So I knew that in every single role that I had, I knew that I did a great job and that I made an impact. So I think it's my storytelling, actually. I think it's more my storyteller telling that got me jobs versus versus the actual work that I've done. You did a lot of recruiting, right? You did like job recs at Google. You did all that. So I saw like Google, it was like 0.67% of people get in, right? Based on the application. It's something, it's super ridiculously low, right? So how does someone without a college degree break in? Because I know oftentimes, right? They go to like places like Harvard, right? Campus recruiting, right? If you don't have a college degree, you don't have campus recruiting and you don't, it's less likely to have a referral, less likely to have, you know, people assume things about you. And you can, obviously, I I figure it's different by different departments because software engineering, it's like, look, you built this app, you're good. But other things, it's different, right? You have to demonstrate your level of expertise a different way. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what would a person without a college degree do? Like what can they do to like put themselves on equal footing with people who have the benefit of the doubt, who come from a different background? That's a great question. You know, I, I do, as a career coach, I kind of want to be like, oh, get a certification, pivot, whatever. But honestly, what I'll tell you as like a human being is to learn what you love. Find out about yourself. Like, who are you and what is it that you would do for free and find something that's like kind of right there, you know, because a lot of my success was in my storytelling because I'm passionate about it because I have a lot of examples that are very tied to my story. And when you are telling stories to an interviewer, they eat it up. You know, you could tell in their face, they're like, wow. And if it's for something that's non-tech, like something like HR, recruiting, all that stuff, being charismatic is pretty important, you know, sales, all that stuff. So they tend to like it. They tend to like it for the most part. So I would say learn about yourself and find out what you're good at and like craft, like work on your craft. Um, I did a lot of transformational work. That's my secret to getting ahead fast, to getting through phases of my life fast. I love a lot of accomplishments, just like any other high achiever, right? But my secret to like doing things that seem impossible or that seem impossible to me at whatever point is by learning about my patterns and my triggers and uh, doing a lot of courses and programs on my leadership, really putting a, a magnifying glass to myself and being like, what is it about the way that I'm communicating, the way that I'm treating people, the way that I'm not treating people, the way that I'm treating myself, that's not working, you know, and being willing to face things about yourself that doesn't work or that don't work very well. Because when I became aware of all that, it changed the way I relate to people. It changed the way I interview. It changed the way that I related to my boss. You know, it was like at Adobe, I had some of the hardest breakdowns as a professional. It was like, I thought I was going to get fired for making that many mistakes. But what turned my situation around was my ability to be vulnerable and transparent about what was happening. It was my ability to remove myself from a situation and realize that I just need to make a case with data. You know, it, it, didn't, it wasn't personal anymore. And all that stuff really happened through a lot of years of development on like working on how I listen, working how on how I approach things, working on what I'm manifesting, you know, all of that plus... A, you know, taking action, applying to jobs, getting out there, meeting people, getting referrals, I think, I think is one way to break into tech or to break into a different industry. That's a phenomenal answer. And I agree with it 100%. Like even in terms of my own productivity, we all have strengths and weaknesses. We have to know like what systems and what environments do we succeed in and what systems and environments we don't succeed in. Because what I found is and it's tough. It's a, it's a journey. It's not like, hey, you study it for a week and all of a sudden it's like, hey, making those mistakes, realizing like, when do you struggle? When do you have a hard time? And when do you have an easy time? Like, look, I quit my job 2018, right? I don't start Netflix shows that have eight seasons because you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to get any work done because <laughs> I'm going to just I'm a binge watcher, right? I don't play online video games. I enjoy them like I enjoy binge watching, but I know 
that's my drug, right? That's what I'm gonna I'm gonna start and I make sure I don't start the show, right? Maybe a season here and there. But I know eight season, I'm not starting out Game of Thrones because I know I'm not getting off the seat. You know, I know these things and I know like, hey, I need my sleep. I know, hey, this is a schedule I work. I know like, you know, same thing. Like even when it comes to food, like if it's in the fridge, I'm going to eat it. Like if I'm inside (laughs) like a Taco Bell, I'm going to order. So I'll, I'll drive the other way, you know? So I make sure I keep these things, right? Keep these systems and habits. So that encourage good habits. And it's same thing with work. Like what gets you to read? What gets you to take courses? Who are the people that you surround yourself with? Who are the encouragers? You know, what kind of affects your emotion too, you know? And because it's like, once you get good habits, it's like you have that momentum. And once you have bad habits, you also have that momentum, right? I've seen it happen to a lot of people where it's like, we all have two different versions. We have a good version of ourselves and a bad version of ourselves. And they're not too far apart, right? They're not too <laughs> far apart. Yeah, that is, I, I love that. But it takes years. It's a journey. It's like, I'm still learning, you know, what am I, 30 years old? And it's like, I'm still learning a couple different things and, you know, all that. So, you know, you kind of gave and you kind of touched upon it. So what were the things that you did to get ahead and that you did to get successful? I learned about my childhood trauma. I took a more psychological approach. I was like, I need to learn about my brain. I, I need to learn about why. You know, I, after I left Disney, I got to this place where I realized that I sabotaged myself, that I would plateau a lot. I would get to places really fast, and then I would plateau, and I would get very disempowered, really kind of depressy, and I would leave, and I would start over somewhere else. I learned that about myself. and. I took on dealing with my triggers, dealing with what is it that's having me sabotage myself. And I did it through, first I did a course called Landmark Forum. Okay, I've heard good things about Landmark. Oh my God. I mean, it changed my whole life. It changed, I think it's like the reason why I'm here. I got out of one course, it was one weekend, there was this concept where life is empty, meaningless, and it only means what you, you say it means, right? something like that. And it blew my mind and it changed the course of my entire life. After that, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make a difference for a lot of people and I'm going to go do that now. Okay. Bye. That's a very powerful way. Yeah. That's, that's one way, but it it was almost, it was just like the very surface of, of what I've done. And something else that I've done is I work with coaches. I, I have two coaches now that coach me in different styles on different parts of my life. Because I realized that the happier I am in my personal life, the better work I do. Uh, the more clients I get, the, the more I impact people, the more my creativity is, is innovative and it's different and it's my self-expression. You know, the happier I am in, in those areas, the more I flourish in the other, you know. So I, I started paying attention to who I talk to every week. Who do I spend my time with? What are they doing? And I had to cut a lot of relationships out of my life, a lot of relationships that no longer were serving me, a lot of relationships that were dragging me down, a lot of obligations, you know, cutting a lot of obligations that you think you have when in reality, we just made all of that up. So I've spent a lot of this year, especially cleaning up my environment. Like, what is it that's going to my head? What is it that I'm allowing to take up space in my mind? So I started doing a lot of spiritual work and I find that the more I develop that, the better I am at what I do because I can be with people. And when they're talking, I could just be with them and I could be in their world. And and then I'll know exactly what to say to them that they need to hear at that moment. (laughs) I like that. I like that. It's a long journey. So what are some of the mistakes you've made along the way? And then what mistakes should people avoid that you kind of see, right? Because you recruit a lot of people. So you kind of see like the mistakes people make when interviewing, when approaching, trying to get these jobs. What mistakes? I would say not being fully prepared for an interview. I think that is, um, I think people have an idea of what interviews are before they work in tech. Uh, Just like I did, you know, I would go, I don't really prepare. I kind of know their mission, but I can wing it and, and get an offer. But when you go to tech, it's a a completely different, there's a system and a process and everything is a particular way. And there's a lot of etiquette that people don't know about. And I think that one of the mistakes that people make is to underestimate how much preparation it takes to be successful in some of these interviews. You know, people don't realize that everyone wants to work at Google for a reason. It's competitive. They only hire the best people. 
So imagine, imagine who is there and imagine their qualifications, the way they prepare. And then I was like, wow, there's like, I could really make a business out of this. And then I did. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of where my first idea for starting a business came from, like dealing with folks that were not really prepared. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's important. Like, for example, I actually got someone in an interview at Google who has his interview this Thursday. He said five days. He's like preparation, hardcore five days, just like full going through and i think i don't know if he interviewed but or he knew he interviewed before or something like that but he said like for software engineering right those are some of the toughest because some of these software like you know this right some of them hitting like five six seven eight hundred k right after stock options and salary so it's like when you're getting that much you're like the interviews are tough right and he was saying that (laughs) i think he got asked how would you design netflix oh you know yes but you know that's like a ridiculous like you know what i mean it's like dude it's like if you're you're not gonna wing that and if you are yeah. winging that you're a genius right you're a genius absolute genius you, you don't even like to prepare for that it's like all these different things all these different connectivities where you're gonna host it how you're gonna collect the data all these different systems interaction all these teams right that's a serious like it'll probably take like an hour it's probably like a whiteboard hour session or something right yeah absolutely i used to one of my on my first year at google i used to be in a room where we had like a candidate debrief. So I used to listen to how Googlers evaluate candidates. And this was for the business side, so it wasn't technical side, but just listening, listening to the to the amount of detail that they can pick up in, you know, in less than 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I was like, wow. For me, I remember one of my first times I started as a note taker in that room. So I would just notate everything they would say i would write it down so you got really good at listening you know you're just listening and and you start picking up their patterns and you start picking up on what people usually fail and usually people are just in their head it's like it's not really the knowledge it's more of uh being able to thrive in ambiguity being able to answer a question like that a question that what happens when people ask you that? Do you freak out or do you actually think through things? Are you able to brainstorm through things? Are they able to see your personality and your skill set through your storytelling, like right there on the spot? And that's when people, most people fail. They kind of get all nervous at times or something along those lines happening. Yeah, just prepare. Because sometimes even knowing you can get asked that is like half the battle. Like knowing that, hey, you can be asked that because it's so out of left field that you're like, well, you really have to think, right? You're like, wow, they're really going to ask me that? Like, you know, how do you do, you know, kind of like that. So you have a decent amount of work experience. And then, you know, you worked at Google during COVID or went through COVID. So tech is going through a big change, right? Because, yes, remote work is there, but now it's like an even bigger thing. Processes are changing. I know Google has this thing. Like if you they're reducing salaries if you fully work remote, like they're doing location-based pay, right? A lot of things. So how has the industry changed over time in the last few years? And it's gotten more competitive, right? You guys got more applications than ever, I assume. Yeah, than ever. I think people are also in a place where they're just like, let me go for it now. Uh, I think a lot of that happened because seeing a lot of profiles that I, I think traditionally I didn't really experience the first year. But I don't know. I, I feel like three years ago, even three years ago, like when I was at Adobe, it was a lot more rigid. It was a lot more, you have to be here. You have to be there. You, all these like qualifications or specifications to the teams that candidates had to accommodate. And now I feel like the tables have turned. There are a lot of candidates and a lot of jobs and people don't want to do that anymore. And they know it's not necessary you get people declining interviews just because they're like, oh, you're not fully remote? No, thanks. All my clients that I work with, individual clients that are job seekers, all of them are like trying to be remote in tech. If it's a person, if you're going to be there once a week, it's a no. Like that. Like confident that they will find something. Because it's true. There's so many options nowadays. So I think now the ball is in the court of the candidate a lot of times mm-hmm. and they're able to ask for what they want. And companies being open to it, being open to flexibility. I've seen a lot of hybrid models, a lot of companies getting creative with their, uh, like, are we going to be in the office? Are we, what's the flexibility? What's the family time? Like taking a lot of things into consideration. I didn't see that um, in the first few years. No, I mean, it's it's beautiful to see 
because as that's happening, people are still getting the work done. And I think it's challenging a lot of the old leaders that had certain ways of thinking. And it's really bringing in progressive leaders who are sort of empowering and enabling these people. We're like, hey, look, we can achieve the same, give the people the freedom. And then now it's like they're able to do it, right? Whereas before it was like, hey, what? And because you didn't have the test. Now it's like, look, we had record year. Everybody was remote. Uh, let's reimagine these things, right? That do we need the person coming in? Do we need these trips where they, whatever, you know, fly in so many people for a meeting and this and that? Like, what do we, it really questioned just a lot of people. And I think also from the can side, people really questioned like, what is work? What is life about? What do I care about? You know, what's important to me? Because, you know, I saw like, I think one person, there's an article about Google. They mentioned how they actually started coming in like a commute two hours because they were saying that the promotion they got was canceled out by the reduction in salary if they stayed remote. So they came in. But, you know, I kind of look at it as like, I don't care. Look, if I'm making 400K and I get a 20% reduction and I'm staying at home, I'm going to stay at home. I don't want to commute, you know, to me. Like I and, you know, different people value different things depending on if you have kids, depend whatever, you know, everybody has their flexibility. So it's like, you know, you get people like me is like, look, you could reduce my pay like 25%. Like I'm okay. Like, if I'm staying home and I get the freedom to come in whenever I want, like that's a, that's important for me. But you know, some people are just like, Hey, I don't mind commuting. I don't mind doing this and all that. I think I have an idea, but what was the hardest phase in your life? I think moving to the Bay area, leaving Disney and not knowing how I was going to get to the next phase of my career, the next phase of my life through that period. I not only was, I had moved away, but I didn't really know a lot of people. So I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time in programs and courses. And looking back, I was pretty crazy for being so gnarly. Like I didn't, you know, for a long time, I didn't have a social life. I didn't care about any of that. I was like, I need to focus on this. So I think that looking back, I probably could have used a little bit more fun. <laughs> Not taking everything so serious. I was very serious. I was like, I need to get, you know, all crazy. So I think that was one of the hardest times. Probably should have reached out to more people or opened up about some of my struggles because now I talk about them. It's not a problem. And I hope that it makes a difference for someone else. But at the time, I wasn't really as vocal about what I was dealing with. And I wanted everything to be fine. I was like, I'm fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. There's nothing to see here, folks. But in reality, I think I was kind of suffering through everything and not really knowing how I was going to get to where I wanted to be. No, I mean, it's it's tough. Look, I quit my job 2018. I still, I live at home. So, and even that, I was like, hey, I'm walking away from this money. So doing what you did, bus ticket with the crumpled up dollar bills and, you know, <laughs> figuring things out, you know, respect, you know, that's a big thing. And I'm pretty sure it shaped who you are and kind of taught you a lot. Now, was there ever a time the lack of a degree held you back in any capacity at any of the jobs or any any situation or setting? I think it did, but only because I was insecure about it. Not because a job was like, hey, we, we really need you to have a degree. You can't work here. Nobody ever said that to me. You know, nobody. I think I was so wrapped up because when I got to the Silicon Valley, everyone had like degrees on top of degrees, you know, in Orange County and Santa Ana. I didn't know a lot of people with college degrees. I didn't grow up with people with college degrees. One of my brothers has a college degree. The others don't. Like, there's not a lot of people that I was like, oh, college is normal. But then I went to the Bay Area and it was like, all everyone had, was highly educated. And then I lived in Berkeley and oh my God, I was like, I, I guess I know nothing. I guess I know nothing around here, you know. They, they start at preschool, like, right? Like preschool, they're paying like 50K. <laughs> they come from these preschools. Where exactly. Like they know more than me already, you know. So I think I got really in my head about not having a college degree. But it really changed when I was at Google. Because when I got to Google, I started realizing that everybody on a team is good at different stuff. But you might have the same function, but we kind of need each other. Like I realized that I can build a team anywhere, anytime and execute anything. And I'll be like the group leader. <laughs> I don't need to know every function. You know, I don't need to know how to do it. I need to know how to like motivate people, empower people to move forward. So 
Um, that's when the context about no degree changed. But before then, I think it only hurt me because I was insecure about it and I wasn't willing to like be okay with it. I, I thought something was missing. So you, you know, were around all these people who had whatever degrees and top degrees. What did you have that they didn't like, despite coming from whatever Harvard, yeah, all these schools and all these fancy places and coming from a different lifestyle? What did you have that they didn't? Uh, I try more things. I fail more. I'm okay with failure. That's it. Um, I work with a lot of high achieving individuals, have a lot of degrees, PhDs and masters. And the more I realized, like the higher people are educated, sometimes it's more difficult for them to fail at things. It's more difficult for them. That means that it might be more difficult to try new things because you might fail. Um, because you're so good at everything, the pressure to keep being so good will keep you from doing other things. And I didn't have any of that because I was like, man, I don't have anything anyway. Might as well go try it. <laughs> so then I, <laughs> and I would be like, oh, no, no big deal. It's not like I have anything anyway. Cool. Try it, try it, try it. And at Google, it was very, very apparent that that a lot of people, although they're fantastic and intelligent and very accomplished, a lot of people just lack leadership. They're just not willing to be responsible for anything. And for me, uh, that's the first thing I see opportunities for that. And I love it. And it's very natural for me. Um, so that's, that's what I realized about myself, that that's what makes me different, effective communication, a lot of leadership and a lot of, a lot of courage to fail. Really. I fail a lot. Yeah. You know, let's talk about salad. So what are the typical salary ranges for people? You know, you don't have to share yours, but just in general for like the roles that you had, like what's the range? So at like sort of Adobe, like contract versus not contract. Do you mind sharing some of that? And also you have, you know, a lot about like the salary data, right? You kind of seen a lot of these things. So can you yeah. share more, shed more light on that? Yeah, I, I can be transparent. I, it's under six figures, but it was pretty much up there. You know, when I worked at Disney, it was very low. It was like 40,000, 50,000. Same with Marriott. Yeah, just like a first job, like experience, get your exactly. pay your dues and go next. And Adobe was closer to like 70. Google's past 80. These are rather entry-level positions on a contract. So... I know that like a recruiting coordinator, if you're a full-time recruiting coordinator at, at Google, you're probably making around 60, but you're making a lot in stock. So that will kind of be around six figures for you after, you know, everything is vested or whatever. So, um, so that is kind of around the price range. Um, but it was, but it, so it kind of goes gradual. It's like the next step would be six figures and above. I know the coordinators at Netflix are kind of like pretty close to six figures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Netflix pays the highest out of all. Yeah, 20% higher, I believe. Than I heard they just like, they, it'll probably make Adobe look like, I know they work, they like work, work you. Like I know Netflix culture is like, we're going to use you as much as possible. Then we're going to fire you and we're going to give you a good severance. But when you work for us, it's intense. Like I actually had a friend, he was interviewing for a position. It was like 1.2 million was a salary, you know? And it's like double what he already makes. But he was like, look, I got kids. I won't see them for the whole year. And then he was like, you're going to work there a year. They fire you. And then you got a severance of like three months. But, you know, a severance of three months at 1.2 million is still a severance of like, you know, three, 400K. So, yeah, Netflix is, I just know Netflix is like the numbers are like ridiculous for like, you know, the directors in tech. Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend, I have a friend that works at Netflix and, she's not too thrilled. Like, she's like, Hey, I, I really can't talk from, from this time to this time because it's like when the reports are due and I don't know what, like she can't even like take a phone call type of thing for like a certain type of the year. Yeah. Netflix is tough. And yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing just like all these great pieces of information and all these stories. What advice would you have someone in high school who sort of wants to go down this role? Right. And they're not going to go to college. What advice would you have? Like, what should they start doing? Because now I know if you went back, you'd probably get here so much quicker, probably like half the time. I would say don't go to tech, go to travel, go travel, go learn about yourself, learn about your gifts, learn about who you are, what you love, what you love to do. Figure out what you're good at. Experiment. 
Like for two years, do nothing but try shit. Just fail at things over and over and over and over again. Like anything, dancing, martial arts, whatever it is, try different things that are not work-related because the work-related ideas come through that experience of playing and exploring. Um, So I would say that and then learn something technical. (laughs) Something data, something data related, cloud computing, look at what are the jobs that are going to be very high in demand in five years and get ahead of the game and start learning what you need to learn so you can get a job of the future. You know, look to see what's going to be very important in in five years and then get there before anybody else. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's so important. Like my friend who has like 10, he has like 16 certifications, right? <laughs> the one who's interviewing at Google. So he's like ahead of the curve. <laughs> you know, he spent years, you know, getting those certifications. And now like I actually shared a post. It was like the 15 top certification. And the, the thing is, there's so many. Once you get them, two, three years, you're already hitting six figures, right? Especially in tech, right? If you're doing it smart and you're, I mean, you're going to work your, your butt off. But if you're smart about it, you're making these good And the beauty is it's like, if you don't like it, you just change, do something else, go to project management, go on more, some other size, but that experience is just invaluable. Absolutely. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And just like being able to, to try it, you know, just getting your foot in there and trying it, you could always try something different. And like, I think everyone kind of makes a shift every three years now. So it's very common, you know, to be doing things like that. So let's talk more about your business, right? So you're on the dark side, you're, you're like, screw it. I'm going to, I need to, this is what I need to do. It was your calling. Talk more about your business. So you, you really know like the tech companies and how to break in and knowing all the hoops and how to sort of prepare for that. What else do you sort of do? Something that I specialize in and that I'm really proud of is how I coach people through their interview process, like coaching people on storytelling, impact storytelling. That's something that I focus on with my clients, but I think that I'm starting to pick up on different trends. So the more people I work with, you know, they're all different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, genders, whatever. And the more I coach, the more I realize that people sometimes interview based on their cultural or ethnic background, like a lot of just upbringing culture stuff. So something that I find myself doing a lot is creating new space for my clients. You know, some of my clients are like, hey, I want to work in tech and, you know, I'm from this place and I heard you're from this place and I think you can help me. I like my background is like your background. Those people are the people that I'm like, I love being here and I love serving because I get to guide them through a conversation where they get to distinguish that they're interviewing based on their cultural upbringing, which is generally not what a Google wants to hear. You know, they, they, they want impact, they want results, they want X, Y, and Z. And many times people don't really speak that way, or if they've never worked with a coach or if they've never done any type of this work, they're like, what? So a lot of my work is creating space for people, you know, helping them distinguish where they're stopped, helping them distinguish where their upbringing or their cultural values are might be creating obstacles for them. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's very important because it's subtle how you tell a story and you incorporate like I, I tell people it's like when, when you're answering and because even like to prepare an answer and a story, I'll ask them a question. They give me an answer. I pry. They give me another answer. I pry a little more to think of the answer. I pry a little more. And then that's one line on the resume. And, you know, I tell them, I was like, hey, when you're telling the story, talk about how many people you work with. Talk about the titles of the people you interacted with. And let me know if I'm doing anything wrong, because, you know, you're you're the super expert. In the, I do the resumes, but you you do the interviews. So, you know, I tell them, be like, hey, when I was working on this three million, you know, my biggest accomplishment is I actually did this project with, you know, X number of people that was like two million dollars. And, you know, it took this month and here were the issues we faced. And at the end, we actually ended up saving the company, eight hundred, you know, whatever. Is that that's kind of what you're kind of teaching them? Because a lot of people don't think of those terms. They're like, hey, I do my job. I get what's assigned to me and I do a great job. But now it's like a lot of people say I work in a dynamic, fast paced environment. But it's like that's so vague. Like, what is dynamic you know your fast pace may be their ultra speed that may be like what that you did this many job wrecks at once wow you only have to do two you don't right <laughs> yes that that is similar to what i coach i i coach on the star method just like google does 
uh, situation, task, action, result is what I focus on to add a little bit of structure. But a lot of it is connecting with a recruiter. Are you being agile? What if they ask you this? What if they ask you that? Would you freak out? A lot of people freak out. So I record my clients and then I send it to them and I'm like, would you hire this person? I like tease them a little bit, but um, a lot of it is, uh, are you comfortable and confident in yourself and your abilities? And when I'm coaching, I focus on like, are we talking on the court or are we talking like we're in the stands? So that's something that I always bring to them because I think when we're interviewing, we tend to get really conceptual, like dynamic, fast paced, bubble, or skipping over a bunch of things. But like, are you really painting a picture for these folks? Do they really know, like, if I was a fly on the wall when this was happening, would I hear the same story? So that's what I do the best, I think, with my clients. And, and you know, they kind of, their eyes light up and they get all nervous when they're practicing. But by the time we're done, they're kind of like fierce. And I'm like, yes, let's go. Yeah, yeah, they know like what they did, what impact they made. They knew how they did it. They know how to go and they know, hey, they're going to go learn the systems and they're going to make impact and they're going to cause a scene and people want to be around them. Like, you know, you bring an- another thing because I, I work with a lot of clients and I got to be subtle how I say it. They got to like you. I get some people and they end up being too professional, right? Like they're like robots and they're they're speaking. So you have to find the right balance of being, yes, you don't want to be too casual, but you want to be not too professional. Because when you're too professional, you don't connect with the person. You're like, who's this guy, right? This is like a corporate speech that someone gives. You need that right level of, hey, you're telling the story, but you're also connecting with the person. You're humanizing yourself. And that is that impact storytelling. It is. You know what I'm doing with my really serious professional clients? Because I love those. And they had a client today. She's so serious. And I'm just like, oh, but you're so warm and you're so inviting, like as a person. But as soon as she's interviewing, she's like, like metrics, but like harsh, you know? And I was like, you know what? I have an assignment for you. Every day this week, do something that brings you joy where you look silly, where it's new. Do something different that brings you joy, that makes you be silly. Like, you know, just kind of loosening up. And then every day she's been sending me her updates. Hey, it's working. It's like, I'm getting more comfortable. Because if you look at yourself, be awkward for a little bit, then you could go over there and just like be comfortable. (laughs) So I'm trying to get creative with my approaches here. (laughs) That's a good one. Like, it's unique. It's, I think it also helps them kind of step back and realize like, wow, right, yeah. I see it because it's so hard, right, to critique yourself and to step outside, right? That's why it's always important to have coaches. So what are what are areas that you're trying to grow in? Let's, you know, what are things that you, you want to personally improve in? That's a good question. I would say my communications with senior leaders, especially men, especially men. You know, I find that I'm more comfortable with a lot of female leaders and I feel uh, more support. I I don't even know if it's the truth. I just have this perception that I'm more supported amongst female networks. And it's totally made up. I don't have any data to back it up, right? It's just kind of this belief that I have. So based on a lot of upbringing, a lot of things. So I'm working on on being assertive and direct with senior leaders, people that have 20, 30 years of experience on me. And I do it by facing them, setting up time with them and staying on top of the issues because I I would avoid them at first. And I think the transition from being a team member to being a consultant was rough for me because I didn't know how to be an individual. I was always like a team lead or a part of a big team, part of a big machine. So being on my own and having to like fight for my work, like this is why I believe this is going to make a difference here. That right there was a whole different ball game for me. So that's something that I want to get um, better at. And the the second thing, no, I have, I have a lot of things, but, you know, I'll give you one more thing. And my other thing that I am really pursuing and focusing on right now are my finances. You know, I, I aspire to build wealth. I want to buy a home. I want to be able to support whatever kind of lifestyle I decide to have. And I want to do it through entrepreneurship. So for me, looking for how can I set up different streams of incomes and how can I have this business succeed and staying focused. You know, I'm a, I'm a big picture and like crazy ideas kind of person. So 
I'm like, Alejandra, don't look over there. Look over here. Focus on this business first <laughs> and then you can start another one. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a common thing because, you know, we're look, we see ideas. We see business opportunity everywhere. But oftentimes the only business opportunities that matter are the ones we actually take time to develop. So it's, it's always like you got to develop one. And then once you develop it, then it's like, you you know, the world's your oyster. So it's like, look, trust me, I, I'm always like, hey, do I focus on this? Do I focus on that? I, you know? And it's slowly building up that team. Exactly. Yeah. So those are some of the things I'm working on. No, I'm excited for you. Look, I know you said you have, I'm not like the, a guy 20, 30 year old, but I got your back. Like, I, I want to see you succeed and, you know, help other, you know, because I think it's a very important, you know, you know, it's funny. I actually did a LinkedIn live earlier today and it was actually about women in the workplace. And then she was, you know, talking about and, you know, how it's like, it's different because, you know, there are some things that show like as a guy, you want to go in with your wedding band, but as a woman, you don't, you know, there's like little things that so subtle that a lot of people don't realize, like what a woman wears, right? Like don't wear open toes. And then oftentimes it's like, especially if a woman's interview, you don't wear open toes because she's going to look at your nails and she's going to judge you. You know, whereas guys, they don't like, you know, so, so many things, right? The world is so different. And, you know, we need more, you know, women on boards, right? Because what I've seen is sometimes there are women high up and a lot of times they're not very sympathetic towards women, right? They're like, like, I I know like Yahoo CEO, Marissa Meyer, she was like, she was not very supportive. She was like, yeah, I had a baby, but it's like, she had a baby, but that thing's taken care of. She got the nanny. She got this, like, no, you know, we can't regular, most people can't afford that. Right. So it's like about getting all types of women and all types of people from different backgrounds up there, because then it's like, then you do have inclusive environments, right? Then you do have like people who have different backgrounds, who have different cultural upbringings. And then that you don't knock them for not necessarily not knowing star at Google, because some of them are great people. They just don't know certain things. And, it's not their fault. It's just they don't have an advocate. Just like you had, what was your name? Isa. So Isa. So, you know, not everybody has that. And I'm pretty sure like she had a big like impact on like being comfortable and confident because it's like, you know, you don't see like sometimes if you don't see someone like you in leadership position, you don't know who to ask for help. And then even if you do ask for help, their advice may not be applicable to you. Like some of them, it's like, you know, they're they're like these things where it's like, hey, if you're a guy over six foot, you're more likely to be in an executive position. So if you're like a five two girl or like five two dude, you know, you don't ask this guy. He's like, yeah, I just apply and I get these jobs and that's you just work hard. But it's like that's not actionable advice. Right. It's knowing how to sort of get into certain positions and knowing what to do. And it's so complex and so subtle. Right. Little things make the biggest difference. Absolutely. So any final words to the audience? Uh, final words to the audience. I'm going to bring you back, though. I'm going to bring you back. So just this is not the final one. Yeah, I'm going to bring you back because you just have a, I know you have a lot of good stories. <laughs> Let me see. I would say that anything is possible. Literally anything is possible. Like a degree is nice. And like all of us are here. Anything is possible is all that I leave people with. I, I love that. I love that. So how would people support you? How would people follow you? Find me on LinkedIn, Alejandra Ayala. You can type in Google. Uh, there's two Alejandra Ayala, so make sure that you pick the right one. I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant and career coach on there. And I'll have um, Google, Adobe, and Disney on my profile. Yeah, connect with me. I'll link to you in the show notes. Thank you so much for this. I wanted you before. I totally forgot to get to you, but thank you so much. And I'm so glad. And, you know, you're going to do great things. And I know anything's possible for you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me for listening. All right. Thank you, everyone. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn Somnia. Q.
keeps us evolving Growing and knowing Wisdom is flowing If you didn't know Now you know where I'm going If you didn't know Now you know Let's sing that again everybody No degree, no problem Any problem we can solve them Insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in a knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going No degree, no problem Any problem, we can solve them Linked insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going Yeah